my team, yeah, we off the leash. You can look us in the eyes, see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up, cause with everything we draw, we can score it when we wanna. Welcome to Podski Wee I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Mike, we got a lot to get into this week, but I think we would be remiss if we didn't start by mentioning what a fantastic weekend of action it was for the CFL. We had four really good games. We're going to get into depth on the Ticats game, which maybe was the worst game of the week, but was still super fun. Like that Friday game between the Argos and Owls was like classic back and forth CFL stuff. Then you had two... One was an amazing comeback, and then one was like just mayhem at the end. It was the CFL at its absolute best, was it not? It was, and it reminded me why I fell in love with this league in the first place. These are games that you would regularly see uh, when we were growing up or or even into our teen years, uh, even a little bit later than that. So it's nice to see, uh, you know, four exciting games. And you obviously it can't be... Every single game is going to be a nail-biter, you know, back-and-forth type of game. But it would be nice to see, you know, get reminded weekly if we could at least get a couple of these type of games so we can keep interest, you know, week to week. Because it's tough watching. I love the CFL um, just as much as anyone else. But if you see a bad CFL game, it's tough to watch. The the two-and-outs and the punts. I know people will argue, well, it's a deep, it, it, it depends if the offense is struggling or if the defense is just playing a really good game, but there can be some boring CFL games. But this week, it showed the potential of this league, and there is a lot of potential if the offenses are cooking and we have a good, uh, you know, just a fun four games. It was, it was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I think we'll get into what was maybe bad offense and a little bit boring when we talk about the first half of the Ticats Elks game because I think that that was some of the, <clears throat> pardon me, some of the worst CFL. We've seen this year just sloppy play and and just it wasn't they they talked about it on the broadcast about it being a defensive battle and it's like yeah I think it was just poor offense more than good defense mm-hmm. but that's gonna happen and the thing is look if we can get to me I don't even need to just give me one of these games give me one like classic team because we do talk a lot about like oh back in our day but then I also think about like. Did we get these with as much frequency because we didn't see as many games sure. and maybe that's part of the thing too. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you in saying that we didn't see these fantastic high scoring games. It seems like it, it was like that, right? Yeah. It's like when you look back on film sometimes and it's like, look at all these old movies. They, they just kept putting out hit after hit after hit. And it's like, well, yeah, because the old stuff that no one remembers just went to the trash heap of like, we remember all yeah. the junk they put out now because we're living in it and we weren't living in it then. But no, I thought it was a wonderful weekend. It same same sort of thing where I'm just watching it going, oh, this is this is what it could be. And I guess with you know, there's only four games a week, sometimes three, but usually four. A couple of weeks of duds. It's like you think about when you watch other football leagues, whether you're watching college football, or you're watching the NFL, and it's like there's usually a game or two every week where you're just like, man, that was exciting and and amazing. But there's so many more games. So like the the hit rate is it's a lot easier to hit on that one game that just blows your mind. It's a lot more difficult in the CFL, but we got a great week of football. Hopefully we got some great weeks of football coming up. It looks like the offenses are really starting to find their groove. Uh, I'm going to give a little plug for your show on Patreon, Podsky Wawa. You, you talk about these these four games in particular. You talk about sort of the quarterback play. Maybe there isn't so much of a. Uh, a concern about the future of quarterback play. Maybe there is some good stuff out there and maybe these guys just need some time to develop, but it was, it was, I don't want to be too negative because it was just a really fun weekend of football and hopefully we can get some more of that going forward, but let's get into last Thursday's game. Now the tie cats won their second in a row dispatching of the Edmonton Elks in, I think more convincing fashion than the 38 to 29 scoreline would indicate. I thought Hamilton in the third quarter just took control of this game 
And essentially the entire fourth quarter was what we would consider kind of garbage time. So Mike, where would you like to start in this one? You want to start on the offensive side, the defensive side, you want to talk about something else different altogether. Where do you want to go? Well, let's, let's, let's go by, uh, let's start off with the opening kickoff of the game, Josh. Uh, you know, they do the short kickoff. I believe it was Ternowski who couldn't come up with the yep. catch. They fumbled the ball right back into the Elks' hands. Uh, you couldn't get a better start for the Edmonton Elks in this one. No, and you couldn't get much of a worse start for the Ticats. But the defense does hold them to a field goal on the ensuing drive, so I think that that was a big win. For the team, I think that this game goes a lot differently if that's a touchdown to open the game, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. They uh, they hold him to two field goals in the first half. You know, the Elks look pretty good moving the ball up and down the field, but they can't punch it in. So the Ticats are still in this one. The offense for the Tiger Cats sputters in the first quarter and most of the second quarter, if I'm being honest. Uh, you know, Schultz misses some throws. In particular, uh, a long throw to White that he was just off of. I thought White could have made the dive for that one, but, you know, Schultz didn't quite make that throw. So that was, you know, that was a close connection. They were getting close, but they just weren't connecting uh, right off the bat in this one. No, no, not at all. It did, like, I, like I said when we were talking about how great the weekend was, this first half was not uh, was not what you would call great a great offensive display. There was There was miscues. There was, like you said, Miss throws, but then things started to kind of get cooking in the later stages of the quarter. Yeah, absolutely. Schiltz finally connects with White on a deep pass down the field. Uh, he gets tackled at the 15-yard line of the Elks. The Ticats punch it in with the run from Butler, a tremendous run, uh, just a tremendous game from Butler to, uh, on that night. Uh, he gets into the end zone, and suddenly the Ticats are up 7-6. to six. Yeah, and the then... Dins. Yeah, that's just it. Then they, then they give up the big the big offensive play. They get the interception. Like it, it felt as if that touchdown was kind of the start of the momentum that this team then took into the third quarter. Absolutely. On the ensuing drive, Cornelius makes a bonehead mistake. It reminded me of a game I was in attendance for the Edmonton Toronto game earlier on in the year. And Cornelius scrambled out to the outside. He should have thrown the ball away. He got sacked in the backfield for a big loss. This was a similar play. He gets the ball away this time, but fortunately for us, it's right into the hands of Cass and Tonis. He takes it into the end zone. You know, what a what a goofy play from Cornelius there. It was one of the worst interceptions I think that I've ever seen. I He's throwing it with his left hand. He's clearly wrapped up, like, just live to throw another day, son, like, but it, it's it's the sort of things that we've seen from him that is why everyone, including yourself, is now off this guy's bandwagon. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he he just he, it's the mental mistakes that you just you just can't make, and that like that opens the floodgates because like the Elks had like the Ticats wanted a halftime up ten six. They get the interception because he, he threw an earlier pick that he threw behind Stephen Dunbar, which bounced right. off his hands that JV and Elliott intercepts. Ticats drive down the field. They get a field goal in the half. Instead of giving up a field goal, they get a field goal. They go into the locker room up for the first time all season. But then the Elks come out in the second half and score a touchdown like a minute into the into the third quarter. And you're thinking, okay, we're in for one of these things. Mm-hmm. Then Schiltz runs one in. And then I think it was like one or two plays later, they get the Cats and Tonas pick. And it's like all of a sudden they're up 10. And then I believe they score – they do. I think they score one more touchdown in the in the third quarter. I think that's after Schultz gets hurt, and I'm, I'm yeah, guess we'll talk Powell's about that first in a second. Pass. First ever first ever pass in the CFL. He throws for he throws a touchdown. Now they're up 21, and it's basically game over at that point. Yep, they add another field goal after that to make it 37 to 13. Uh, Cornelius is pulled. They get Daggy in the game, and the, you know the Elks outscore the Ticats by a fair margin in the fourth quarter. And they make it kind of close at the end. the 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 final score ends up thirty seven to twenty nine. But I felt like this was never, you know, I was never worried that the Elks were going to make the comeback in this one. I felt like the defense was kind of sitting back, letting them do their thing. So you know, this one was in the bag pretty early in the second half. I thought. Yeah, especially when I think it was Dunbar that scores the last touchdown. He scores it with like I don't know twenty seconds left or something. And he doesn't even celebrate the score, even though they could get the onside kick, which they did successfully get an onside kick. 
I think it was right after they scored the first touchdown in the fourth quarter. They then get the onside kickoff after that and then score again. But it, it's it was just they they knew there was no opportunity here to really really do anything. You know what I mean? Like I I I, I can't remember when even Dunbar's maybe it was a minute left. I don't I don't I don't necessarily recall. But he doesn't celebrate at all after he scores. The game is essentially done at that point and. I think a lot of people are making more of the final score line. I saw a lot of comments online after the game. It's like, oh, they let the Elks back into it. But it's like, no, when you're up 34-13 going into the fourth quarter and you're playing a rookie quarterback, like the Ticats are playing with a rookie quarterback, you're managing the game at that point. You're asking him not to make any mistakes. You're not really hoping to to blow the score open. Although they almost did because Tyreek McAllister had a punt return touchdown called yeah. back that – on a fair, on a legitimate, but like immaterial holding call on Anthony Federico. But like that would have busted open to over 40. And at that point it would have been like, it was already over. That would have just completely, it, this, this score would have ended up being a 20 something point lopsided win for the tabbies. Instead, it's a lot closer score. Maybe it's something that they can work on late in games, not giving up those scores to make it quite so close. But I think the score actually flatters Edmonton. I, I don't think this game was anywhere near as close as as the eight-point margin of victory suggests. Yeah, I would agree. That, you know, the Tabbies outscore the Elks 24-7 to in the third quarter, and that's what really did them in. Uh, the Elks outscored the Tabbies 16-3, to but, yeah, they were sitting back a lot of that fourth quarter, and I wouldn't look too much into that. Um, well, the first, the first three quarters, Hamilton outscored him 34 to 13. You know what I mean? Like, so <clears throat> like, like that was the score at the end of the third quarter. It was over. You know what? Like, I just, yep. I think, I think people are making too much over the final score. Cause like you look at the box score and you go, oh, I meant to make this comeback and it was an eight points, but it, it, it never felt after, after Powell threw the touchdown to, I think it was Tim white was the one that caught it. Yep. That felt like game over. All right, now that we went through the game rundown, let's get into some individual performances and maybe some positional performances. Um, Matthew Schultz, 10 to 17, 108, especially early on, but I thought he turned it on in the late, late in the second, late in the second quarter, and then that third quarter. Yeah, he was he was fine. Like it again, the entire offense as a whole started slow, and I that that's kind of starts with him. It doesn't end with him, but it kind of starts with him. But at I thought he played fine. I thought he played. I don't think he played as well as he did against Ottawa. I thought that he had a better game there, but he also got nicked up in this one. Maybe, maybe the numbers are a little bit better if he plays the entire game, but yeah, I thought, I thought he was fine. He used his feet rather well. I thought a couple of rushes there, especially for the touchdown. So yeah, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I was disappointed in how he played. I'm a little, I'm a little bummed out that he got hurt and now we're going to have a new starting quarterback this week, but we can get into that uh, a little later when we talk about the game coming up on, on uh, Friday night here. But yeah, I thought, I thought Schiltz, Schiltz was fine. I thought Powell, if you want to talk about him for a split second, I thought he looked decent ish in his first real game action. But uh, again, it was, it's hard to really get anything from a player who plays in the fourth quarter of a blowout, you know? Yeah. You, you can't really get much evaluation out of four throws in the fourth quarter. So we're going to see next week uh, what this guy really has. So that should be exciting. Uh, the rushing game was a factor again in this one. <laughs> James Butler, 14 carries, 127 yards and a touchdown, a 9.1 yard average and a long of 37. Impressive night for him. Absolutely. This is why they brought him here. The The offense wasn't clicking in the passing game, even with Matthew Schultz in there. And then they rely on the run and James Butler does the things that James Butler is being handsomely to do easily his best game as a tiger cat, not to say he's been bad in, in previous games. He's had some decent ish games so far this season, but this was, this was a dominant performance. Like you mentioned 9.1 yards per carry at five rushes over, over 10 yards two over 20. That's exactly what you what you have to ask for out of out of your running back. You you don't expect to get nine yards of carry out of anybody, but when you do, you're really really happy to get it. And he contributed in the passing game as well. He caught three passes for forty yards as well. So it was a good day for Mr. Butler. Yeah, just tremendous to see James Butler running like that, and the rushing game as well. They gave the ball off to Tyreek McAllister as well for three carries, fourteen yards. Um, Schultz got on the, in on the action with two rushes and Keandre Smith. So they're mixing it up. They're not just handing the ball off to James Butler. They're spreading it around a little bit. And uh, speaking of spreading it around, the receiving game, 
Uh, Tim White led the way with uh, two receptions for 71 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Terry Godwin also had a pretty good game with 61 yards. And uh, James Butler, 40 yards. Tariq McAllister, 35 yards. Guys are contributing, kind of stepping up like Terry Godwin, which is nice. Yeah, it is. It was a little disheartening to see Duke Williams not be targeted but once in the game and and not really get a chance to really exploit what I think is a beatable Edmonton secondary. Uh, But you know what? I don't I, I won't say he was used as a decoy, but he did have one opportunity to haul a big one in and, and didn't come down with it. But he wasn't that was the only target he had in the game, which was a, a little weird for me because he's been so reliable for the team this year. But it is nice to see more guys get involved. Uh, Godwin in particular it was nice to see him kind of uh, lead the way a little bit with with some of his play. A lot of a lot of one catches, though, because I, I mean, the team as a whole only completed 12 passes. But when you get a defensive touchdown, when you nearly get a kick return touchdown when you're using a running game as well as you are, the passing numbers are, are going to be lower. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think, I think every fan of this team would take a more balanced offensive attack and a victory over high fly and high scoring and losses. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. How did you, what do you think? The... What do you think about um, before we move on to something else? I just wanted to ask, what did you think about the, this, this Butler McAllister tandem? Because I watched that in that game, and it brought immediately to mind Ronald Williams and Archie Amerson. Because McAllister also does stuff in the passing game. He mentioned he had yeah. he had a 35-yard catch <clears throat> in this one. Do you get the similar vibes between that? Like, I'm not saying that Butler is, is Ronald Williams. Ronald Williams, I think, was a much bigger back. I think Butler's shiftier and also uh, much more quick quicker. But McAllister yes. has that kind of Amerson ability to, oh, we need, we need him to – Butler needs a spell. We'll give the ball to McAllister in the backfield. Oh, we need to – put him up in the slot. He can go catch it. It really reminds me of that duo and that duo, you know, if you're of a certain age of, as a tie cap fan, duo brings back a lot of pretty good memories. Do they not? Yeah, absolutely. I could see that. Like you mentioned, Ronald Williams was more of a bigger bruising back, but yeah, I, I could totally see that because Archie Emerson was more of a running back early on. They put him in the slot and one year, I believe he had 750 yards receiving and 703 yards rushing the ball. So he was quite the tandem. But yeah, I, I could totally see that McAllister is, is getting uh, integrated into the offense slowly here uh, with his return game. So yeah, he he does have a Archie Amerson feel to him, doesn't he? Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see with Sean Thomas Erlington on the six game injured list, but that's going to be coming to an end soon. How the team decides to deploy all these guys, because I think you have kind of a three headed monster back there because Erlington's in that similar vein I mean, he's a little bit thicker than Archie was, maybe not as fast, but he's in that similar vein of a guy that can run the ball and catch the ball out of the backfield. Be interesting to see how they utilize all these guys going forward. Yeah, absolutely. I'm super excited about McAllister. I think they found, like, obviously you know that the the team is really high on this guy, and yep. uh, I think he's going to do big things this year. So can't wait to see that. Now the defensive side of the ball, uh, anyone stand out to you or any group stand out to you in this one? You know, I saw a lot of people begging on the secondary. What did you? I didn't think the secondary was that bad in this game. No, I didn't think so. I mean, early on, I guess the Elks had their way a little bit in the past game, but you know, a couple interceptions, I believe, in this one, and they really stymied them in the second half there. And I thought that Kenneth George Jr., who we were killing after Week One, has quietly put together a decent rest of his season so far. Like we don't talk about him as much as we used to. Uh, the defense as a whole, I thought like, again, they gave up 13 points in the first three quarters. They created two turnovers. I think that's the story of the game defensively. I think you, you kind of look at the 16 points they gave up in the fourth quarter and you almost flush it because yeah. again, I don't think it matters all that much. Like there's going to be people who think we're idiots or I'm an idiot for saying something like that, but I just, I just don't think it matters all that much. Although they did get a little abused in the run game. I'll say that because Kevin Brown had a pretty decent game which is not something the Ticats are normally used to giving up, but they are without some bodies up front. But I, I thought the yeah. defense as a whole, I thought, I thought they played better in this game, even though they gave up more points than they did against Ottawa. I thought Ottawa was more of a, a case of that offense being a little inept. Whereas in this one, I feel like it was Hamilton's defense kind of clamping the doors down. They get the pick six from Katz and Tonus. They get the big interception. 
in in the red zone to take points off the board for Edmonton. Like I think I think it was more uh, along the lines of Hamilton's defense really played well in this one, which is two games back to back that they put that together, and that's pretty good to see considering how poorly they played to start the season. Yeah, I will say that I think that that uh, interception deep in the in their own end there that was just a bad pass by, by Cornelius, a little bit behind, kind of bounced yep. up into Elliott's hands. But you know, you'll take them how we'll get them. So I thought it was a better performance overall from the defense, like you said, even though they gave up uh, 16 points in the fourth quarter or whatever. But I would. Did you think anyone you know, stood out? Not overly, no. Um, I thought, you know, as a whole, they were pretty good. But um, besides Elliott and Castantonis with those big interceptions, there was there wasn't really, you know, any linebackers or uh, defensive linemen that really stood out. Ted, I think Ted Laron had a big sack in this one. And Ted Laron's been looking pretty good the last couple of weeks. So that's that's really good to see. But yeah, other than that, you know, I, I didn't see any of the defensive ends really stand out, get a lot of pressure or anything like that. So um, it was a good performance overall, but no individual performances that really stood out to me. Yeah, that's kind of how I thought. I thought it was more of a, a really good team defensive effort than it was one or two guys really kind of throwing. Like, because we saw in the Ottawa game, it was like Simone kind of put the team on his back and Jameer Thurman kind of put the team on his back. And and you mentioned Teddy, he kind of did the same thing. And the, kind of the, the veterans kind of were like, we're not losing this game on defense. And this one, it felt much more like the offense had... When, especially when they when they found their rhythm in that third quarter, it was more the offense was clicking and the defense was then just kind of pinning their ears back and and watching as the Elks made mistake after mistake. That in a lot of ways the defense forced. Like Jagger Davis has Cornelius wrapped up when he decides to throw a left-handed lob that Katzentonis picks off and takes to the house. You know what I mean? So it's like it wasn't as if Edmonton was making mistakes because Hamilton was doing nothing. They were just screwing up. The defense was kind of forcing those mistakes to happen was exactly what you want to see a defense do. So again, like it was a decent defensive effort, maybe their best of the year, I think, but again, I like you, I don't think anyone necessarily stood out as like, Oh, this is the main reason why this defense was as good as it was. It just felt like a total team effort, which is good to see. Special teams. Uh, let's just, let's just start with Mark Leggio because he's been great since coming in here. Three for three on field goal attempts. Four extra points in this one, 100%. Uh, you can't say anything bad about this guy that, since he's came in. I feel like I should be hitting the Mr. Perfect theme song right now because right? he hasn't missed. I mean, I know he's missed an extra point, but one point I'm not going to quibble okay. about. He's He's been perfect on field goals, and I don't know, man. I, I don't think Seth Small's coming back, quite honestly, but even if he did— I don't know if you make the change. I think you've got a Canadian kid here who can do both jobs. So if there is an injury in the punting game in, in any individual game, Leggio can go back there and do it. And he's done everything this team has asked for him. I don't know how you take him out of the lineup. Even if Seth Small does decide to return. Yeah, it's, uh, it's hard to argue that. I mean, you, 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 you worry a little bit when Leggio was brought in uh, because of his past in Winnipeg, but you know, he's been perfect since he's been here pretty much. So uh, thumbs up to him. The return game, Tyreek McAllister, another big return in the kickoffs. Uh, just one return in the kickoffs, but a 46-yarder. This guy uh, gets you out of your seat every time he touches the ball. Certainly does. And I mentioned earlier, he had a punt return touchdown that was called back on a hold that happened yep. about 65 yards away from the play. And this is kind of a more, it's less to do with this game and more of a general thought about what we've seen too many punt returns are getting called back on these marginal yes. holding or blocking like too it seems every time we see a return touchdown we're looking around for a flag because some ticky tack mm -hmm. i think that they need to set the standard much higher like if you go back and watch the game they highlight oh here's anthony federico's hold he's holding someone on the line of scrimmage and yes it's a hold it's a legit penalty that is not something that they should be throwing a flag on that. That happens on every single play on offense and special teams to highlight that and throw flags, take away a punt return touchdown. I'd be equally as mad if it was reversed and it was Edmonton's returner who had one stolen. We just see too often one of the most exciting plays. One of the things that, that the proponents of this league and the league itself trumpet is like our special teams matter. We don't just boot the ball out of the back of the end zone and our punt game matters. We don't have fair catches and yada, yada, yada. You're always, there's always a chance to see an exciting return. And then it seems like every exciting return we see, I don't know how many we've seen this year so far where there's, there's been a flag thrown on them. And it just, it's disheartening to see because I think that these big plays, if it's not at the point of 
like if it doesn't materially affect the play, why are we throwing a flag on? It just seems silly to me. And this was just another example of that. And I just, I just wish it would go away because these plays are, are so exciting and it gets people out of their seat and to, to have them overturned on something that's so minuscule, just, it, it feels like you're going in the wrong direction here. And that's not to say it wasn't a penalty. It was a penalty, but come on guys. Like if you wanted to call that type of holding, you could call it on every single play in the game. Yeah, I would agree. I'm not sure what the solution is to it, but it hurts the game. It really does. You could throw those up on highlight packages everywhere in the world, and it, people would think that would be exciting because it's a different – you don't see it in the NFL anymore because they basically ret- uh, eliminated the return game. It, it has to be shown in the CFL, and they have to hold back on those penalties if it doesn't affect the play. You know, if it's a holding right beside uh, the returner and, and it affects the play, the, you know, the defender can't get to the returner, then call it. But if it's 60 yards down the field and it, it doesn't matter, keep the flag in your pocket. I, I totally agree with you, man. Yeah, absolutely. It just, it just sucks. That's all. It just it takes away one of the most exciting things about this league. And we need more of that, not less. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Is that, uh, does that pretty much cover it for this one, Josh? What do you think? I, I think so. Do you want to talk at all about... Uh, the Elks losing streak at home. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's just, it's, it is sad. Like it's obviously there's a lot worse things in this world, but it's like coming to that stadium, you know, compare it to when I showed up here five years ago or six years ago. Um, you know, it wasn't what it was in the eighties, 50, 60,000, but they were averaging over 30,000 fans. Now you go and it's you're lucky to get 15 or 10,000. It looks like in actual attendance, butts and seats there. So I obviously I was cheering against them in this one, but man, I hope they can get a home win soon because it's pretty ugly here. I don't know when that, I'm looking at their schedule, their next home games against BC. I can't see him winning that. Mm-hmm. Then then they host Winnipeg. I can't see him winning that. Then we get to the end of August and they host the Red Blacks. And given how the Red Blacks have looked the last few little while, especially with Dustin Crum there, I don't know. Like, there's no way it's going it, to, it can't go the rest of the season. Like, there's no way they are going to go winless at home again. But if if they don't beat the Red Blacks in that one, then it's the Labor Day rematch against Calgary. Then it's BC again. Then it's Montreal. And that's the end of the season. And I don't, I don't think they're going to be favored at home in any of those games, like I, it's sad to see. And, and at this point, it's just, it is what it is. I, I don't know what the solution is. I just, I think you and I, uh, if we go back to our season preview show, we <laughs> drastically over ed, estimated where we thought Edmonton would be. It's uh, I will say it selfishly. I'm just glad we weren't the team that, that broke yes. the streak, you know, because, yep. and the thing was, is going into the game. Like I know you had tweeted out about it and we had had similar discussions and, and I both, I think both on mic and off where we were both kind of like, it would be so tie cats for them to lose this game. But then I started to see like the warm, like the, the spread in this game, not to get into a gambling thing, but the spread went from the tie cats as two and a half point favorites to the Elks as one and a half point favorites by kickoff, which means a ton of money went in on Edmonton as the underdog and yep. flipped the spread. And whenever that happens, I always get a little, trepidatious thinking i mean we saw it earlier in the year edmonton was the underdog at home and then they became the favorites against saskatchewan and saskatchewan beats them and then it's like okay this happens then i started seeing a lot of the media people even people i work with at three down were like it's going to be at this is the one this is and it's just like man, everyone and their mother it seemed everyone and their mother was picking edmonton right and it felt like it was too much. It's like, okay, this is snowballing here where I think too many people are overthinking this going like Hamilton's not that good. And going into this game, I thought that was a fair thing to say. I think even coming out of this game, they're still like, they're not in the upper echelon. They're in the, that, you know, fat middle tier of, of teams right now that kind of houses Saskatchewan through Ottawa at this point. But at the same time, it's like, man, there's too many people kind of believe in this and, and when that happens I, I tend to get my ears up a little bit going I don't know about this one I'm starting to think that maybe maybe the reverse is going to and that's exactly what ended up happening and it looked for a while like Edmonton would win this one and then of course we saw the second half explosion that we already talked about and I don't really think there's anything more we need to get into in this game but it just felt like as if too many people were starting to side with the Elks and that made me think mm-hmm. okay maybe maybe my worry here is a little unfounded and for the record I did put out a tweet that said I am terrified that you know the Elks are going to win this one, but it wasn't said in reality. It was based in 
you know, Ticat fandom since yeah. I was a kid. It wasn't based on this team versus that team. And I did pick them in the gambling show and yeah. uh, this week on the on, on Potsky Wee Wee. But, you know, just in the back of your mind, you're a little bit nervous because this is the Ticats after all. It is true. It is true. Okay, let's move on from the game. We're going to talk about some... Uh, I mean, there's not really... I was, I was going to say we're going to talk about what's happening this week, but nothing's really happened yet. We're recording on Monday afternoon. They've had their first practice. We're going to get into some of the roster stuff when we break down the game, because I think it's more prevalent to go through it there. But we did get an interesting question on Twitter that was Ticats related. We got the other day, and I thought that it was something that would be fun for us to discuss on the show. It comes from one of our listeners, Adam Consoli, on on Twitter. He's at Adam Consoli. And Adam, if you're listening, I hope I'm saying your last name correctly. I believe I am. If I'm not, I apologize. But he said, hey, guys, had a discussion with my brother, and I'd love to hear your input. What has to happen for you to consider the Bo Levi Mitchell signing a success, and what would make you consider it a failure? Love to hear both of your opinions. Now, I think you and I have touched on this a little bit in the past, either when Bo was traded here or when he signed his extension, but it has been a few months since then. I don't know if we necessarily got into like a giant discussion about it or or did a whole like success failure thing, but I do think we've touched on this briefly in the past, but it's been a few months now, so let's, I see no harm in touching on this again. So Mike, simple question for you. Answer Adam's question. What do you consider a success for Bo's tenure here? What do you consider a failure? Uh, to be success, a success, one great cup, at least one great cup to be a failure. No great cups. Uh, we brought him in to get over the hump. We've had this, you know, core, you know, we've had these core players for, for quite a while now in Hamilton. We brought Bo in to be the leader, to be that guy that, uh, you know, takes this team by the horns and gets us to the next level. So if there's no great cop, then it's a failure as far as I'm concerned. You know, he's one of the, he wants to be known as one of the greatest of all time. And, you know, you could put him up there already, but I think he really cements his legacy if he can get a, a great cup victory in Hamilton. And uh, that's what they're looking for. That's why they brought him in. That's the expectation. Yeah. So my success is the exact same and it's at winning at least one title. You have to win at least one. They've been to a bunch in the last decade. That's fine. That's great. But they didn't make the change from Evans to Mitchell to not win. That This was a move made because they looked at their roster and said, we have a championship roster, but it's not good enough at quarterback. Whether you agree with that assessment or not is we're not here to debate. But that is what they decided, and the big change they made was that quarterback, and they brought in a proven guy that's won a championship. If this team doesn't win a championship, then it's no different than they were with Dane or with Mazzoli or with Henry Burris or with Zach Caleros or with every other quarterback they've had since Danny McManus last led this team to a championship. So Bo is here to win a title. I would, I, I almost put down win multiple titles, but I'm not going to get greedy. It's you. The Ticats with Bo as their quarterback have to win at least one for me to consider this a success. Failure, I'm going to be a little less harsh than you. For me, if they don't win a championship, yes, it's a failure. But they have to at least get to multiple Grey Cups, in my opinion, for this to not be an abject disastrous failure. Like if they never, if Bo never plays in a championship game, even if they, even if they go to four and lose all four with Bo. I think that that's still more of a success than you would you you would had with any other quarterback. Like you put them all together, obviously not. But if they don't get to multiple Grey Cups with Bo as the starter, then I think this is a failure because you bring him in, you sign him to the big money contract. Okay, well you could have had either Mazzoli. Uh, now obviously injuries have taken him out, or you could have just stuck with Dane and maybe gotten to another Grey Cup, maybe even won one, but if you don't at least get the opportunity to play in multiple four multiple championships, to me, it's, it's a complete and utter failure. I think if they get to like, if Bo's here five years and they get to three cups, but they don't win one, I don't think I can consider it his tenure a failure. I think I'd consider it a disappointment. I don't think I'd consider it a failure. A failure to me is they don't get to multiple. Like if they get to one gray cup in five years with him on the team, to me, that is a failure because they brought him in to win. They brought him in here to compete for championships every year, and you only get to one Grey Cup. To me, that would be extremely disappointing, and I'd consider it a failure. If they get to none, then this has just been an absolute disaster and was a complete waste of time, no? 
Yeah, absolutely. And if you judge him by the first couple of games, he didn't look so hot. So not at all. You know, the pressure is on when he comes back. He's going to have to look good early. I mean, obviously they're not going to make the switch because they're paying him so much. But man, he, he has to he has to perform early on when he comes back. I'd have to say. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he looks like and what the offense looks like and how everyone's kind of started gelling a little bit over the last few mm-hmm. weeks when he does return to the lineup. If he can kind of maybe add a spark or maybe get that that old bow magic back, it'll be it'll be fun to watch. Speaking of quarterbacks, though, we're not doing a game this week. Instead, what we're going to do is look back on something we did earlier this year in the offseason. Mike and I made some pyramid slash tiers of various CFL positions. And we thought that since we are about one third of the way through the season, now would be kind of a fun time to revisit some of those. And we're going to start today by updating our quarterback tiers. So, Mike, we've decided to tell the audience that we're going to do 10. I think we did 15 quarterbacks in in the in the offseason. But because of injuries and such, uh, I think we decided we're going to uh, limit it to 10 today. So for me, before we get into it, I, I, I we. We didn't set any parameters here. We just just said we're going to tier some quarterbacks in the CFL. Uh, I, I think we set the limit at 10. I, I can't remember. But I, 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 I had 10. I believe you have 10 as well, if I'm not mm. mistaken. Correct? Yes. Okay. So for me, I'm just going to say that I took out players that are going to be out long term. So you will not have Jeremiah Mazzoli or Trevor Harris on my list. That doesn't mean that Mike won't have them hit them on his. He very well may. But I decided because we're kind of talking about the 2023 quarterbacks, I was going to knock them out because Mazzoli's probably, well, we, we, we know Mazzoli's not playing for the rest of the year with the torn Achilles. Trevor Harris suffers that broke, I believe he broke his leg against uh, Calgary over the weekend. He's out long term, if not the rest of the season. So I took those guys out of out of out of my out of the running to possibly make this this list here. I kept in players though, like Bo Levi Mitchell just talked about. He's going to he's supposedly supposed to be coming back this season. His is not a long term out for twelve week type injury. So he I did keep him in the mix for, to make these here. So since we're doing twenty twenty three, as I said, guys that are going to play most of the season. I think I think that's where I kind of decided who and what was going to make my list. So why don't we start with your list, Mike? Why don't you, uh, you want to go row by row? Yeah. Five to one. Sure. Five to one. So we both got five, five tiers here. So Mike, why don't you start with your fifth tier, your bottom tier? Who do you got there? My fifth tier, I have Taylor Cornelius from the Edmonton Elks and Mason Fine from the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Uh, Cornelius, we've seen enough of him. We know that he's, you know, bottom of the league. Uh, unfortunately for me, uh, I look like a bit of an idiot, but that's fine. And Mason Fine is, uh, you know, we've seen him in flashes over the years. I, he's never really impressed me. Uh, I know he came in and threw that ridiculous Hail Mary type pass uh, last weekend uh, to tie the game with Saskatchewan. But I just, he hasn't shown me enough and I just don't think he's a very good quarterback. So my fifth tier is Cornelius and Mason Fine. So I also have Mason Fine on my bottom tier, and I'm going to tell you right now, Mike, I don't have Cornelius in my in my tiers. I completely knocked him out. My other one on the bottom tier here is Dustin Crum. I'm assuming you have him higher up on your list, which is understandable. But these are the two guys that I put at the bottom, and I think they're both talented. I think they can both move up. I'm with you on Fine. I'm a little less sold on him than I may be on on Crum, but. I have him at the bottom because they just don't have a big enough sample size. This was sort of the same criteria that I used when we did this back in, in, I think it was either April or May, it might've even been as long ago as March. And I had Chad Kelly really low on this list because it's like, I need to see more before I'm ready to anoint someone as the next guy. So while Crumb I think has looked decent in his, in his play so far, I think he's getting a little bit too much love for Saturday's game. Like, don't get me wrong. That was a great comeback. He was superb late in that game against Winnipeg. But he also stunk for most of the first, like, 55 minutes of that one as well. So, again, I'm not trying to take anything away from him, but I'm not ready to, to like, elevate him to, you know, top five in the league or anything. And it's the same with kind of Mason Fine. Like, he's good. He looked – he had a really nice throw against uh, Calgary in that game, th- throws a touchdown pass, nearly wins that game. But we just haven't seen enough of him or either of these guys. So – I'm not really big on handing out kudos to guys who haven't really earned it or who I think 
and I and I think this is fair who need to show me that they can be something more than in just spot duty here or there. So, like I said, with Chad Kelly, I did that. You're going to find him much higher on this list than he was at the start of the season, and for good reason. But right now, the two guys that I have at the bottom rung of, of the CFL so far this year are those two guys, Fine and Crum. I think we're, I'm just going to take a wait-and-see approach to them. Maybe we'll roll this back sometime after Thanksgiving again and do this again. We'll see where those guys stand at that point. Maybe they're higher, maybe they're lower. We'll wait and see. But until I see more from them, I can't, I can't elevate them all that high up. All right, what does your fourth tier from the bottom look like, Mike? So I got crumb in the fourth tier. Uh, you know, I got a bit of a crumb boner after that. Uh, <laughs> after that, the ending the, of that game was the, pretty after impressive. After the crumb I, back. Yes. Yes. Very good. Very good. Yes. Very good. You know, you're right. He didn't play that well in the first half. I thought he got better protection in the second half. They they kind of did. A lot of max protect, I believe, in that second half gave him time. He made better decisions, and obviously he used his legs pretty well on that one too. So maybe I'm jumping the gun a little bit, but Crum is slides into my number four uh, tier. Bowley by Mitchell is at number four. From what I saw from him, he looked like a bottom tier quarterback from the first two games. Not the worst in the league by any stretch, but just not very good. He was missing passes. He looked out of sync with the offense. So that's where he's at on this quarterback tier and I have Dane Evans in number four I think that we've seen enough from him to know that he's a pretty good quarterback depending on how things are going with the offense um you know I think if he gets another opportunity obviously Vernon Adams is playing very well in BC but if Dane Evans gets another opportunity in this league I think he can be a, a good starting quarterback again interesting interesting so I got a couple of the same guys on my I got a four-man tier here uh, my my fourth tier is Bo, just like you, Dane Evans, just like you. But I also have Jake Mayer and Matthew Schiltz down here as well. So Evans is here basically because I think he's the best insurance policy in the league. But he hasn't played all that much, so there's no really reason to move off that stance, but also no reason to elevate him higher. You know what I mean? Like we, I don't like he looked good in spurts last year with Hamilton, but how good would he look in BC? We're we're probably never going to find out, but. He's, he's still, to me, the best number two in the league. And if Vernon Adams does suffer an injury, I think the, the Lions will be in, in fine hands. But he hasn't done anything this year, so I can't put him up much higher than that. Jake Mayer, he's looked decent in spurts, but there seems to just be something missing from his game. Like, he puts up a lot of passing yards, but I just don't think he's... Like, I look at him not as a guy who will like a team will win because of, but he'll be a guy that's kind of along for the ride. I know they, I think truck and trailer are the, the, the new like fancy things that they say about quarterbacks down South. And I just think it's a stupid way to discuss, discuss them. But like, I don't necessarily know if teams, like, I don't know if Calgary will win because of Jake Mayer or if Calgary will win and have Jake Mayer as quarterback. Matthew Schiltz is the other one. Like, he, maybe he goes a little higher, but again, I, I just think this year we haven't, we've seen him play and he's looked fine for the most part, but like, I don't know. I just, he's looked like a career backup to me. Like he's played well in, in spots. He's played poorly in spots. Like he's done enough to kind of keep the tie cats from completely bottoming out. But I don't know. I just, he he's, he's, he's a fine player. And then we get to Bo and it's like, like you mentioned, like even before the injury, he didn't really look good. He was just playing poor decision-making. Like he had four interceptions in, in fewer than two total games worth of action. And he just does not look like the guy that I saw in training camp who looked crisp, who looked healthy, who looked like he could throw the ball through the eye of a needle. Like he, he looked great in camp. And then once the game started, he looked like the guy that looked cooked in Calgary. So like hopefully he can come back from this injury and play to the level that we all want him to. But until he does, I'm I'm going to remain a skeptic here. I'm going to the the skepticism that we had of him in Calgary the last couple of years. I think we we let our black and gold colored glasses like tinge us a little bit. And because of what I saw in training camp, I saw a player who looked healthy for the first time in a while. But he hasn't played well this year when he's in there, and now he's hurt again. So I think this is uh I think down at the near the bottom of the list of quarterbacks in the league right now, I think is is totally fair for for a player of Bo's caliber with where he's at. So those are the guys that I got there. 
All right, let's get into the number three tier. And I just realized that I cheated on this one. I have 11 quarterbacks, but uh, oh, forgive me for you that cheating one. bastard. I know, I know. So in my third tier, I have Schultz. Um, I think he's not a great this year. But, uh, you know, I've seen him run the offense really well at times. So I feel like he's middle of the pack type of quarterback. I have Schultz, Fajardo, and Mayer in that third tier. Uh, you know, Mayer had a slow start, but I thought he looked he's looked better in the last two games. So I, I'm going to put those guys in the middle of the pack here in the third tier. Okay, so my third tier is just one guy, and it's Cody Fajardo. I don't think he's up with the top guys in the league, but I can't deny and say that he's he's played he, poorly for the Owls. He hasn't. He's played he's played really good for Montreal, despite the fact that he's getting the absolute piss knocked out of him. Like, what mm-hmm. is it, 26, 27 sacks he's taken so far this year? And I know in this past week against Toronto, I think he took the fewest. I think he only had three or four sacks taken against Toronto. So he's a, maybe he's getting a little bit better protection or he's doing a little bit better to avoid taking those hits. But he's been he's been really good for Montreal. He's he's absolutely been by far the second best quarterback in the East without question. And he's got Montreal playing pretty well. I know they're two and three, just like Hamilton and Ottawa. But I think if in all those situations, if, if you're going into this week's games, who who do you want at quarterback? You'd say Cody Fajardo out of those three teams. So I, I look, I'm not a Cody guy. I've said that uh, numerous times over the years. I think he's been vastly overrated, especially by the people out in Saskatchewan, but he's played pretty darn well this year. So I'm, I'm I got to give it credit where credit's due. He's, He's really proven himself this season, so I got him in my third tier. What about your second tier, Mike? You're your last from the top. Who you got there? Well, you got one guy in the second tier, and it's Chad Kelly. The Argonauts are 4-0. I thought in the first game he looked pretty good, uh, not great, and then I thought he's gotten better ever since, and especially in this last game. I think the last game against Montreal was his best game, uh, over 300 yards passing in that one, so... He's shown that he's a, a pretty good, pretty good CFL quarterback. So, um, you know, there's still lots of games to go, and he still has to face a lot of tough competition. But at this point in time, he's, uh, you know, a top three quarterback for me. It's hard, hard to deny that at this point in the season with what we've seen so far. I got two guys here. One of them is Chad Kelly. The other is Vernon Adams Jr. I, I just think that he's. He had the one really bad game, throws the six interceptions against the Argos, but he bounced back from that and had a, and had a good game the following week against, I believe it was Montreal. And other than that, he's been exceptional. He's near the, or at the top in every major quarterback category. And honestly, if you're doing a straw poll of most outstanding player right now, he might be the guy that leads the way, even with all those interceptions, because they happen to the majority of them in one game. He's he's. The Lions, with him in there, haven't really missed a beat offensively without Nathan Rourke, so I got to give Adams his flowers, and now we get to Kelly, and this is where the people who hate listening to the show, and if you're an Argo fan, I mean, you must hate listening to the show if you're an Argo fan. Why would you listen otherwise? I I was skeptical of Kelly coming into this season. I'm not going to take that back. I think that my skepticism was warranted, but he's been exceptional this year for the most part. I, I thought he was fine to start the season, but he's really ramped it up. You said it yourself. His last game against uh, Montreal was clearly his best of the season. He looks like he's in complete command of that offense. He's making plays with his arms and his legs, and he's leading an Argos offense at scoring almost 40 points a game. Like I needed to see him do what he's doing right now over a larger sample size, and I understand that four games isn't huge, but for me, he's checking every box and answering all the questions that I had at the start of the season. Could he fall off the map? Of course he could. We've seen guys start start hot and then crumble later. We've seen guys have one great season. Think of Jonathan Jennings all those years ago, came in and just took the league by storm and then was out of the league not that long after. So it could all come crumbling down. But as we sit here today, July 17th, I can't I can't knock Chad Kelly. He's he's been awesome. He's been easily the best quarterback in this division. He's knocking on the door of the top tier for me, quite honestly, and I didn't think that that would be the case. I think if he keeps this up, he'll be the runaway East most outstanding player and very well might win MOP, which is something that I would have absolutely, not only something I would have laughed at, something I did laugh at the idea of at the start of the season. But hey, if you're going to play well, I'm going to come on here and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to, I'm not going to lie about it. He's played exceptional this season. He's got the Argos humming. They look like the best team in the league right now. And he's a major part of that. He's not just along for the ride. He's doing a, a lot of the heavy lifting himself. 
can't hate on a guy when he when he's playing that well as much as I want to. And I'm not going to sit here and say that he's not playing well when he is. So kudos to Chad Kelly. He's answering all my questions. And there's there's not a whole heck of a lot that I can uh, I can knock him for right now. He's in a good situation, right? I mean, he has a really good offensive line. He has a really good run game. So I, I think putting him on the Toronto Argonauts, don't get me wrong, he's throwing the ball well and everything, but I think that being on a really good offensive team is helping his situation. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, You got that two-headed monster in A.J. Olette, and then you bring in Andrew Harris near the end of the game. I mean, they're running the ball down people's throats, so that helps quite a bit. Yeah. Okay. We're going to do one. We're going to talk about the, I'm going to say one last nice thing about the Argos and we're going to get off the Argos suck fest. Cause most of the people that listen to the show are probably throwing up hearing us talk so glowingly about the Argos, but mm-hmm. honestly, they might have the best roster in the CFL right now. And yeah. if that's the case and Kelly plays at this level, they're going to be, they're going to be tough to beat. All right, Mike, I think by process of elimination, we know who you have at the top of your tiers here. So why don't you just let the cat out of the bag and tell everyone who you got at the top. All right. I have Zach Claris, of course, and Vernon Adams. And you might question why I have Vernon Adams up there, but you know, with that terrible game that he had, you mentioned it earlier, you talked about him quite a bit, but he, he bounced back. And that's a thing that I don't think younger Vernon Adams would have done. You know, he throws six interceptions and he, he comes out and has has a really good game the next game. So I think he's in the top tier quarterbacks right now. He's leading the BC Lions. They're a really strong team. He's doing his job really well. He's using his legs, running the ball. So yeah, Caleros and Vernon Adams in the top tier. Well, my my top guy is is Zach. It's Zach Caleros. You could argue Adams and Kelly have both been better, but for me, it's going to take more than six weeks before I'm ready to take Caleros down from the mountaintop. I think his numbers are still really good. He's still near the top of the league and everything. And I need to see what we've seen from him since he arrived in Winnipeg is Flutie-esque, if you will. Maybe not statistically, but from a win standpoint. Like, I mean, the Bombers lost this past weekend to lose their second game of the season. And everyone, I, and again, I know it was to Ottawa and they had a big lead and all that. So that's the shocking part. But they've lost twice now and people are stunned already. But that just is a, is a testament to how good this team has been over the last few years. And I think Kelly and Adams are, if, if, if someone wants to argue that those two guys are ahead of Claris right now, I'm not going to fight you too much, but because of the resume that Zach has, because of what we've seen of him in the last three years, maybe he's on the downswing here. He's a little older than these guys. Maybe it's his, I, you know what I'll say his, his reign atop right now is as tenuous as it's probably ever been since I would say the, the 2021 season, I think all of last year, I don't think anyone would have questioned. I mean, maybe Nathan Rourke had a, had a little bit of a claim to it, but I think for the most part, no one really questioned Zach's top any sort of pyramid or power ranking or whatever ranking you do of quarterbacks. And I think for most of 2021, you would have said the same thing, but I think for certain the last year and a bit, I don't think anyone would, would have, would have argued that point. But right yeah. now, and I it think it might be think, a, think, a case of sorry, sorry to interrupt you there. It might nope. be a case of, uh, you know, the Winnipeg offensive line is just not doing what they That's, did yep. in the past. I mean, they've they've given up 17 sacks already in this season. So, um, you know, if you get pressure on Zach, he's not going to be the same guy. Right. So they have to they have to really protect him to get the best out of Caleros. For sure, but he's still making he's still making plays. Like you look at that receiving core, like Drew Wolitarski's having the best season of his career. That's not because Drew Wolitarski all of a sudden got tremendous over the off seasons, because Zach's still finding mm-hmm. ways to give him the ball. Oh, yeah. So I still I I look, I think that the the three guys at the top here are somewhat interchangeable, but because of the resume and the fact that he's done it for such a long period of time, I just don't think that I'm ready to have anyone reach Zach's level yet. But when we come back to this, maybe in six to eight weeks, I could have a different answer depending on how things are shaken out. But right now he's still number one for me. And uh, at least will be until I see someone really kind of outplay him or outperform him over a much longer period of time. But for right now, got to go with Zach. All right, let's move on. It is game preview time. And Mike Friday night is a Big one in the hammer as the Ticats welcome the undefeated Toronto Argonauts to Tim Hortons Field. The Ticats obviously are winners of two straight, but they have come against Ottawa and Edmonton. And while that Ottawa win does look a little better after what we saw the Red Blacks do to Winnipeg on Saturday, 
The Argos are in a different weight class altogether than their last two opponents. The Argos have won four of the last five meetings between these teams, including this season in week two when the Argos spanked the Tabbies 32-14. to 14. But in the Tabbies' favor is that Toronto has only won five of 14 games played between the two teams at Tim Hortons Field since the stadium opened in 2014. The single blue are flying high, however, starting the season 4-0 for the first time since 1983, while the Ticats are right now in a three-way tie for second place at 2-3. A Ticats win would not only end Toronto's undefeated start, but would also set them up nicely for a little run here before Labor Day. It was announced on Monday that, following practice, Taylor Powell will get his first career start on Friday, replacing Matthew Schiltz, who has been added to the six-game injured list. That was This game here was going to be a tough test regardless of who started at quarterback, but now that we know it will be Powell, this does feel like a little bit of a tougher test now. What do you think, though, Mike? What do the Ticats have to do to win this one and get to 500 for the first time this season? Offensively, it's uh, keep keep running the ball. Um, you know, I know that the, the, the Argonauts front seven are one of the best in the league, but you got to get that run game cooking, especially with Taylor Powell in the backfield, you know, being the quarterback, his first start, uh, you need to run the ball. You need to protect Powell. You know, you got guys like Sean Oakman. I'm not sure about the injuries along the defensive line for the Argonauts, but if it's the normal guys of Oakman and Oren Balade on the outside, you're going to have pressure on the quarterback. So hopefully we can protect Powell and run the damn ball, you know, hand the ball off 17 times again to James Butler because we know he's capable of of making big runs and getting a good average per run. So that would help out a young quarterback quite a bit. And defensively, I mean, I was going to say throw blitzes at Kelly, a young quarterback, but I think that Chad Kelly is a pretty smart dude when it comes to quarterbacking. So he'll be able to read those pretty well. You have to get pressure with your front four, and it's something that hasn't been done very well this season in Hamilton, but it's, it's basic stuff. But we need pressure from the front four, especially with a somewhat inexperienced secondary, especially on the corners. Yeah, so for me, they have to stop the run. They can't let A.J. Olette really get going. And they've done a decent-ish job of, of hemming him in over his career. I don't think he's had any sort of massive games against the Ticats that I can remember. But if you can stop the run, maybe make Toronto's offense a little more one-dimensional. I think that uh, I think that there, there'll be some opportunities there, especially if, if they get him into second and long situations where the defensive line can pin their ears back and go after Kelly and maybe force him into some errant throws or rush throws or what have you. I think the other thing, though, is you can't let Kelly improvise. Like, you can bring those blitzes at him, you can bring that pressure, but if he escapes and gets a chance to kind of move around outside the pocket, that's where I think he's been the most dangerous this year. I think we saw it a couple of times against Montreal, where Montreal brought pressure on him, he escaped it, and then found a big chunk play downfield. I think you have to limit those as much as possible. So you have to be very sound in your gaps, sound in your coverage, and and not let him get outside and then make plays, not just necessarily with his feet, which you know he can do, but making plays with his feet to make plays with his arms. I think he's been deadly at that this year, maybe the best in the league so far this season. And I just, if, if you do that, I think it'll be a long day. But I think mostly for this team, focusing on what the Ticats can do, they just have to limit mistakes, limit turnovers, limit dumb penalties. If you look back on that opening game against the Argos in week two, they had two red zone end zone interceptions. If those, even if they end up in field goals, that could be, I'm not saying the Ticats would have won the game. They got blown out in that one, but maybe though that's a, that's a different game. If they score touchdowns there, I think we're talking about a much different game. So I think mistakes really hurt them early against the Argos in their previous meeting. If you can limit those, then I think that they have a chance to, to really make, you know, make this a game and, and maybe even secure the victory. I know I said a few weeks ago that I thought that they would win this game, but that was when I thought they'd be somewhat healthy. I'm a little more concerned given that it's a guy making his first career start against a really good defense and a really, a really solid defensive coordinator in Corey May. So I think this is going to be a, a bit of a difficult one. I'm not saying they can't win. I look at what Dustin Crum did last week comes in. No one had any expectations for him. And he leads, he leads that great Crum back. So I just think that uh, it's a little less, in the bag. I'm a little, I'm still 10 toes down, as I said, all those weeks ago, but maybe I'm not as, uh, as firm in my grip now that Taylor Powell's back there. But speaking of Powell, Mike, I'm kind of curious, what do you expect to see out of him in this one? What do you expect the offense to look like? Cause we've seen before that, uh, Tommy Condell has cooked up some, 
some pretty good offensive play calling for a third string quarterback. We saw it with David Watford a few years ago where he had to start a couple of games and they relied really heavily on the run and, and won both of them. We've seen it. We seen him do it with Jeff Matthews years and years and years ago. We did it with Corey Harris. I mean, at one point he did it with Jeremiah Mazzoli when Mazzoli was a, a third string guy who no one really had any hopes for and kind of tailored the games to his needs and, and, and won a playoff game with him basically as a starting quarterback. So what do you kind of expect to see at a pal? Do you think you're going to let him sling it? Do you think you're going to be more conservative in their play calling? Like you, you mentioned that you want to see them kind of use the run game a lot in this one. So mm-hmm. what are you kind of hoping to see from the rookie quarterback here? And uh, do you, do you think that they have a shot at this one or do you think this is just lambs being led to the slaughter? Well, first of all, I think that, you know, it won't be the same as the previous third string quarterbacks because we saw it on the first play of the game. I mean, he threw uh, first play of the game in the last game. Taylor Powell came in. He threw a long pass into the end zone to Tim White. You know, yeah, uh, wide side corner route. That's not something you usually let rookies throw. Yeah, exactly. So they were very timid with guys in the past, not being not letting them you know, really run the offense, especially in the passing game. It was a lot of runs and short passes, screens, stuff like that. But I just have a feeling that Taylor Powell, they have more confidence in his passing game than the previous third string quarterbacks. So I I don't think the offensive play calling will be much difference, uh, much of a difference from Schiltz to Powell. So I expect the offense to to pretty much be the same in, in this one. And I think if they can do that and Powell obviously can run it well, then we have a chance, but you know, I'm, I'm nervous about this one. I don't, I wouldn't be betting on the tiger cats to win this one, but I do think it will be a close game and maybe they squeak it out in the end. But the way that the Argonauts have looked uh, the first four games of the season defensively and now offensively, it's going to be a tough one against them. No. And I think that that's fair because I think any team going into a game playing an undefeated team who are the defending champions and they're playing their third string quarterback, I think there's, there, it's right to be tentative. I don't think it, it means that yep. I don't think they can win. Like you said, like I, they can win. We've, we've any team can win on any given day, but I think it's fair to be a little less confident going into this one because we are seeing a guy play his first game and we've seen how many guys over the years. We, I mean, we said it when we talked about Dustin Crum, we see guys come in, look really good for a, for a spell, and then they, the the lights shine really bright, and they they shit the bed. So it's not I, – I, I don't know what to expect out of Taylor Powell. I don't know a lot about Taylor Powell. I didn't know a ton about him when he came into camp. I, I learned a little bit about him throughout camp. But, again, it, it's much different coming from the college level, even though he played at a, a major college. Like he played at Eastern Michigan. I mean, he played for – he bounced around a bunch, but I think he finally landed Eastern Michigan, which is not – you know, it's not an NCAA powerhouse, but it's not Division Three football either. So it, it'll be interesting to see how they kind of tailor the game plan to suit what he does best. I think I think they will rely on the run. I think they will make try to make things as easy as possible for him. Give him, especially early. I think you're going to see a lot of like layup throws, like get the balls in the hands of guys like Tim White and James Butler and Tyreek McAllister and Duke Williams, and go let them make plays for you, as opposed to asking him to chuck the ball 40 yards downfield. Although that's something the Ticats have been doing with some frequency the last few weeks with, with Schultz in there. They've been, they haven't been as scared to, to go deep. So maybe they'll, they'll surprise us there as well, but it, it's going to be a tough game. It was going to be a tough game. Even if Bo was playing at his best and this team was, was yeah. clicking and like the Argos are a good football team. It, it sucks to say, but it's just the facts are the facts right now. This is going to be a tough one, but I mean, if they win this game, and we come back here next week. I mean, we're going to do the post-game show, so we're not going to talk about the game on mm-hmm. here next week. But if we come back here next week and this team's 3-3 three and three having ended that, the Argos' uh, undefeated run to start the season, I think we're, we're having a much different conversation about where this team can go moving forward and where they might be heading into Labor Day. They'll have completely erase that 0-3 start. They'll be, at worst, at very worst, tied for second place in the East. They will have gained a game on the Argos. Like, there's a lot to be gained from a victory here, and... Again, it as unlikely as it may be, we've seen crazier things happen in the CFL over the years. So I hope this is a good one. I hope that I mean I hope that I hope it's not a good one. I hope the Tigers win fifty to nothing. But in the realistic world where this is going to be an actual football game, show me show me what he can do. Show me what this team can do with a third string guy in there. And even in a loss, maybe we're having a much more positive conversation than we normally would. Yeah, absolutely. And I do think that the special teams could be a big thing for the Hamilton Tiger Cats mm-hmm. in this one. If you get McAllister cooking, even if he doesn't score, like he doesn't have to score a touchdown. But if we start off in good field position for most of the game, give Powell good field position. Uh, I think that would be a huge, 
huge gain for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. So hopefully the specials can contribute in this one. Maybe we score a touchdown on defense. It doesn't have to be all on the offense, right? So let's, uh, I know it's overused, but let's play complimentary football and help out this third string quarterback. For sure, for sure. So uh, just before we leave here, just like to give a quick plug. Remember, we're on Patreon now. We've been churning out tons of bonus content every single week. The new episode of Mike Show Podski Wawa will be up Tuesday morning as we're recording this on Monday afternoon. I'll have a couple of my What's Happening Tiger Town shows to discuss all things happening at practice this week. Some interesting things we saw today, the most notable being that Taylor Powell will start, but I'll get into some of the nitty gritty on things that might ne- not necessarily be something that the mass audience wants to hear about, but maybe the more hardcore diehards that follow us over there will, will like to hear about. Uh, we did we did a watch along previously on the 9080s final. We got more of those playing. We got some good stuff going on over there. So if you want to uh, check us out, our top tier is only nine bucks a month. I think we've said it before. I'll say it again. I think you get tremendous value for for just nine dollars a month. So if you want to head over and support the show financially, that's a great way to do it. We thank you everyone who's already there and everyone who will join us in the future. We have a lot of fun doing it, and we we hope to keep keep it going forward and forward every single week. So we're gonna keep pumping out stuff, and hopefully you guys like what we're doing over there, and you can join us there and and join in on the fun with everybody else that's already there. But that was Podski Wee Wee for this week. I am Josh Smith, and I'm Mike Graham. Eat them raw. Eat them raw.